It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, social distancers. This is Sam Matterface and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. 28 days later, there's still no end to the wait. And now the football authorities are warning of mass administrations and pulling the cord and blowing the whole thing up unless we can find a compromise. That would mean everyone sticking to the rules though, wouldn't it? Hey, Jose... Coming up, all the big stories of the week dissected, including which European countries are training again, plus we've got the owner of Sunderland Football Club, reflecting on Sunderland Till I Die, the Netflix documentary, and what he's going to do next. You, you look back at it all of the season and there were there were mistakes that, that were made, not just with Josh. You know, we got some things wrong and, and Josh was definitely a mistake made by the club and ultimately me. We've also got Shane Long's distancing diary and Dimitar Berbatov taking responsibility for signing a United superstar. I was so happy to see that after that they they bought him. And of course, still waiting for my commission. So we'll see. (laughs) All on the Just About Managing to Get Through the Day game day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. We also have Adrian Durham on the show today, taking us through how he's spending Saturdays without football, the interesting movie collection that he has, uh, his library, and how he's managing to fill three hours of drive time per day with no sport as well. Alex Crooks struggling on that front as well. Uh, No sport to distract him, so what is he doing instead? I know um, you don't drink that much, uh, but I did see a photo that you put on social media this week. Um, One of your sporting challenges we could give you might be how to get the security security tags off those eight bottles of whiskey that you bought oh what a nightmare that was um i think i speak for everybody when i say that at this time we need certain things to look forward to and um you know the smallest of pleasures can mean a lot so um i ordered two bottles of spice rum a bottle of gin to come with our uh, delivery from tesco and when they arrived i excitedly opened the bag to find that the security tag had been left on all three bottles. So um, you can imagine my disappointment. Uh, it's crushing. Did, did you not think that, and I know that we're supposed to be only going to the shops for essential items, but arguably this is essential for you. Did you not think of just jaunting down to the local off-licence in order to get yourself a bottle of Captain Morgan's or something? Well, I did actually have to go to the uh, the, the Tesco Express and take my receipt and ask them politely to open said bottles. But actually, by the time I'd done that, I was so knackered I went to bed anyway. So I still haven't actually uh, enjoyed the benefits as of yet. Oh, don't worry. I'm sure you will. Um, I set up a dartboard in the dining room this week. I am so proud of this. If you had said to me four weeks ago, right, 
you're going to be allowed to put a dartboard up in your uh, dining room. I would have said, that'd be ridiculous. You're bonkers. I know the rules in my house and my missus is in charge. And that's fine by me. But uh, you know that you are in unprecedented times if you've managed to slip that in and hit the bullseye. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I actually have uh, turned my dining room into a bar, uh, the thinking being that if I couldn't get to the pub, (laughs) then the pub would come to me. Um, And again, I don't think I would have got away with that under normal circumstances. And maybe we should set ourselves challenges every week. What can we get away with? Hmm, might be a, if you want to tweet us and give us suggestions then please do at Sam Matterface or uh, underscore Alex Crook let's get to this week's top stories The FA chairman Greg Clark has warned that football is on the cusp of being decimated by the effects of coronavirus, calling on all sectors of the game to contribute he said that communities could lose clubs that are close to their heart Premier League CEO Richard Masters hit back at Julian Knight MP, who in his role as chair of the Department for Culture, Sport and Media Select Committee has led the campaign against football with Masters claiming there are Premier League clubs on the brink of financial collapse. Spurs boss Jose Mourinho was spotted giving a coaching session to record signing Tangi and Dombele in a park in Barnet. Um, that's in breach of the government's social distancing guidelines. Just a bit. And Ryan Giggs has taken up a new role as fitness instructor, hosting live classes on Instagram. I think I might join one of those. Um, we will get to Stuart Donald, the owner of Sunderland, in just a few moments. We've got Adrian Durham on the programme as well, all coming up on the Game Day pod, a packed Game Day pod. Let's quickly have a look at the top stories this week. They're all about money, really, aren't they? And, and, and clearly, uh, there are problems in football. I think it's put itself into a situation where it is overstretching its resources seemingly at all levels of the game and now finds that it is in an unstable uh, position, unable to cope with an event of this kind, which has certainly come without much warning. We have had warnings from Greg Clark and Richard Masters about the future of some clubs and ministers and MPs have jumped on the bash football bandwagon. Gordon Taylor is defending his corner. The authorities are panicking. But what is becoming increasingly clear, and I think that Stuart Donald will touch on this a little bit later on, uh, let's take the players out of it for a minute because we know from that documentary their assets, their commodities, they are well paid, but sometimes they can be very easily discarded too. This is a sport overall that is living in many cases beyond its means, in most cases at its means, and only in very few cases within its means. And the rivalry between the many governing bodies that we've got is now seemingly preventing a coherent strategy going forward. And up until this point, we're we're almost in a situation where it's it's not interlocking and and causing a logjam, but there seems to be so much stubbornness on all sides, and maybe that's because of the fact that the the negotiations are so detailed and uh, nuanced, that there seems to be no way forward. Yeah, I think I think there are lots of strands to this story. I mean, you touched upon it there about the the, the bashing of footballers that seems to have become the favourite pastime for many politicians. I, I'm not having that. I think there are other wealthy members of society who equally need to do their bit. But when you look at the makeup of the Premier League, I, I think the misconception is that all clubs are are awash with cash. That simply isn't the case. I've got a fascinating graph here, uh, which basically shows the percentage of uh, television revenue that makes up each club's turnover. It's incredible, really. I mean, you've got Norwich at the bottom, as they are in the in the real-life Premier League table. Just 28% of their turnover comes from the television companies. At the other end of the spectrum, Bournemouth, 
88%. Mm. Now, when you take into consideration the fact their wage bill already is 85% their turnover, that simply isn't sustainable. And I think what we're going to see here is a change in the way that clubs operate. I think transfer fees are going to come down. I think there may even be wage caps introduced uh, certainly for clubs outside the top six and as you go lower down the, the football pyramid because I think what we're seeing here is that the current model simply isn't sustainable. Mm. For example, clubs shouldn't be in this much financial trouble already because, okay, we're four weeks into a football lockdown. That means two home matches for most of them. How, how can yeah. so many seemingly already be on their knees? No, that, that, that in, and that in itself should be a signpost that there is serious problems in the way that the business is being run. I mean, the first and, and most obvious warning sign is the fact that people are spending on average 73% of their turnover on wages for football players. I mean, forget everything else. That is an unbelievable amount of money to be spending on one particular part of your business But ultimately, this situation highlights that those who do not have the money are the most vulnerable. Transfer gossip does continue, though. Liverpool looking at uh, Boubacari Sumar from French football. Chelsea looking in the same sort of market as well, I understand. United hoping to acquire Jadon Sancho and Jack Grealish. AC Milan want to take David Silva to Italy once his contract expires at Manchester City. Some of the rumours from this week. What do you make of the uh, United still looking at Grealish? I know last week we were a bit sort of surprised uh, by his actions and thought it might jeopardise a move. And Jaden Sancho, who we thought might be going somewhere else. Yeah, I'm not convinced by the Sancho one because um, I, I know someone who's quite close to his family and the vibe I'm getting is that he would prefer to go to Liverpool and link up with Jurgen Klopp. So we'll watch that one with interest. I think we covered Jack Grealish, didn't we, last weekend. But what this does show is that even in this uh, pandemic situation that we're in, clubs are still looking to the future. I think they have to. It would be foolhardy if they just suddenly stopped recruiting and and stopped looking for new signings because football will continue. We don't know when. We don't know where at this moment in time. We don't know in what guise. But eventually it will get back to normal and, and, and squads will still need to be built. Yeah, and uh, building squads is, is obviously historically been important to Manchester United. And I didn't realise that their network of scouts uh, also included Dimitar Berbatov. Now, I've been making a bit of a documentary series for Talk Sport over the last few weeks, which is going to be airing soon. It's about number nines forwards. And I've been speaking to Lineker, to Glenn Murray, to Emil Heskey, to Andy Cole. And, and I really hope that you, you take time to listen to that if you can, because it's a really good listen. The, the subjects are brilliant. Lineker in particular, fantastic. Uh, but so is Dimitar Berbatov. Now, you heard this interview. I played it to you already. And, and for someone who isn't <laughs> or hasn't been the most media friendly, his personality is amazing. He also claims credit for Manchester United signing Anthony Martial. Here he is. They call me. From uh, from United, uh, head scout Jim Lowe was calling me, and it's like, Burps, we are looking at that kid from Monaco, Martial. Uh, just wanted to ask you what it is, how do you think? And straight away, man, I, when when you see it, that's why I say first training when I go there, second, third, you see a talent. If you know what to look, you're gonna see a talent straight away, a raw talent, but a talent. And I tell them, hey, this, this, this boy, is, it's unbelievable. You know, I mean, if it's in the right environment, the right place, the things he can do, I mean, he can be a great, great player. Just need someone to guide him and, and teach him the right movements on the pitch, where to run, when to run, the right moment to release the ball. 
and stuff like this. And I was so happy to see them that after that they, they bought him. And of course, still waiting for my commission. So we'll see. <laughs> Do you think that um, he's appreciated by as many people as he should be? Do you, or has he still got st- stuff to learn? Oh, of course, he, he's still young. He has stuff to learn. Uh, I don't think people appreciate him as much as he needs to. He's a bit uh, shy as myself. Uh, a, a bit uh, in into himself, keep to himself, and maybe people sometimes uh, misread misread uh, the way he's moving around the pitch because he's not smiling as much as people want to. But for me, this is uh, so much talent is there, so much talent, and I hope he can continue in the right direction and develop. And uh, you know, the coaches are working with him outside of training session, individual session, how to shoot, where to run, as I said, because these are important small details, but they can make you better. So there you go. When you're getting the ump about uh, Anthony Martial in times uh, uh, better times to come, then you can blame Dimitar Berbatov uh, for, for signing him. Well... There are some comparisons there, aren't there, in the, in the way they approach the game. I've, I've got no real problem with Martial. There, there is undoubtedly a talented player there at the moment. I just think at times he lacks the application to back up that natural ability. I've got a particular seat I, I usually occupy at Old Trafford and the woman who sits in front of me absolutely abhors Anthony Martial. She spends her whole time. <laughs> she comes along, she pays for her ticket, she sits in her seat, she brings her packed lunch with her every single week and before she's even taken the cling film off the sandwiches, she's every time laying into Anthony Martial. <laughs> and even when he scores, she said, yeah, but you know, you wait till later and there's a crucial chance you'll miss that. Whilst we're all in lockdown, Netflix has has got a bit of a battering, hasn't it? I mean, we've all gone through every possible series there is, and football th- fans that are thirsty for content have turned to Sunderland till I die. It's a, in my opinion, it's a docu tragedy, isn't it? There, it's, it's almost like a real life version at, at some point of The Office, in that there's some really cringy moments, especially in that first series. There's some great tales and some some very strange decisions but the first series covers the sort of relegation from the championship and the stewardship of of CEO Martin Bain the second series covers the reign of Stuart Donald on the river where they used to build the boats by the harbour wall the place you love the most right you come lay down there's some stuff to go in random boxes underneath the cupboards. Yeah. Moving's been a bit stressful. Sometimes I look at the Instagrams of wives and footballers in the Premier League and think, I wish I had their life. <laughs> and someone says to me, but you've got their life. But it's very, very different. Like any career, any player really in the game, there's been ups and downs. There's been more downs and ups really, isn't there? But this is a highlight of my career at the minute player for, for Sunderland. They were cold, out. But if you could see me now. Let's talk to their owner, Stuart Donald now. Hello Stuart, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure, no problem at all. I binged watched this documentary over the course of the last seven days. I feel like I'm quite emotionally involved in Sunderland now as right. a result of that. <laughs> Good, good. Um, uh, it becomes apparent very quickly when watching the documentary that this club has been badly run for a number of years before you take over. 
do you still think it was the right thing to do to go in and buy the club? Yes, but I, I, I have to say probably, um, and, I, and I've talked about this at, at length, if I was presented with the same deal again, would I do it? Probably not. We, we Although we've worked hard to, to improve the finances and get it right, we did have quite a few things, you, you know, um, fall in our lap that, that made it just that little bit easier. And I think, um, you know, in all business deals, you need a, a little bit of luck. But, um, you know, we've had our, our fair share, I think. And, um, uh, you know, if, if everything that could have gone against us did, then um, it, it would have been much, much tougher. It's a very brave step to take, allowing a camera crew to follow you around in the day-to-day running of a football <laughs> club, especially for someone like yourself, who seemingly from the documentary wears their heart on their sleeve, isn't afraid to speak their mind. How do you feel about the way, having watched it back, that you were depicted? Well, I didn't, I didn't, didn't like watching it for, for, for a number of reasons. Li- living through it, it was very, very strange the first few times the cameras were on you. Um, and I think you know, I don't think there's any coincidence in those first few instances where they put the camera on us. Not many of those clips have actually made it through because I don't think they were particularly natural. But after a while, you, you do get used to the camera being there. And it, in lots of ways, what, what the, the documentary has managed to do is, is really capture those moments without them being staged. You know, they're all real time. They're all real emotion. Um, and I think it probably took a little while to get um, us to, to just relax. You, you know, my initial thought with it was that there aren't many football clubs that can have a global brand, but if you've got a Netflix documentary and it goes right, you can get that out to the world. And maybe, just maybe, you might get a few people come along and, and become emotionally involved that wouldn't have known about Sunderland. So on, on that basis, I thought, let's do it as long as everyone else is happy, and they were. But it was... Yeah, to start with, it was very, very strange. But by the end, um, you didn't really notice they were there. And you mentioned that you sort of saw the opportunity with it. But is there a part of you now, in retrospect, that probably wouldn't have sanctioned it if you'd known how it came out since? Or or do you still feel as if it's benefited you as that global brand? For lots of reasons, it's it's a good thing to do. There are some downsides. I mean... You, you know, I, I think in any football club, the, the relationship with your manager, you, you know, with the fans, with, with the players, sometimes in the heat of the moment, you might say the odd thing that, you, you know, in retrospect after a game, you don't mean, or it was just emotion. I think players do it, managers do it, you know, chairmen do it. Um, and, and what, of course, you want to do is build a football club that is united and one team. And if some of those things aren't shown uh, to do that, 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 that in itself you know is isn't good and and you want to try and avoid that um but i think on balance you know for our fans um it, it's great for them to sort of get you know a bigger understanding and see it as it happens um albeit after the event um and it, it's something that's there forever and i think as you know as a football club and you live for you don't get a chance to see you know what a football club is is really really like. I think a lot of the the documentaries really focus in on the players and the changing rooms and this that and the other. And I think the guys at Fullwell, you know, did a really good job of actually making the show more than just about the team, but all the characters around it. And and I think from that perspective, it, it's it, it it's good TV. Um, and I think, you know, if our name goes out to 20, 30, 40 million people, hopefully on Netflix or whatever it might be, um, that, that can only be good for the club. 
you mentioned the supporters there. The, the one thing that you did do initially, and I think Charlie's speech was a big part of this, was was re- reawaken the fan base that had, when you walked in, almost given up. I mean, how quickly did you realise the task of turning the club around was bigger than you expected? Because I think that's a, a theme running through the documentary. Um, yeah, instantaneously. Uh, but but I think, you know, um, even in our communications, you know, we, we tried to be open with the fans and, 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 you know, explain, you know, what we were trying to do and how we were trying to go about it. But in hindsight, I, I think when we wandered in, neither Charlie or I realised how big a football club Sunderland actually is and when you walk in there and you see the enormity of it you suddenly realize and I didn't realize this day one that every little thing you say is dissected 20 different ways and um, you know people position those comments sometimes and only show half the interview or whatever it is and I think you know at the start we were you know extremely open but but naive to that we were like rabbits in the headlight and it, it, it took a little while just to get used to the size of the club there is so much to the football club whilst we've been open and tried to re-engage. The fans have had such a tough time. They just want something to believe in. And it was, it, you can see it at the end. It's such a hard watch because those, those fans are just desperate, desperate for, I mean, I wouldn't even call it success. I mean, getting Sunderland back to the championship isn't success, but it's just a win at Wembley and, and to not deliver that for them and then have the show end like that and rewatch it and rewatch it. You think, Oh, that 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 needs a series three to put it right, but you, you know, um, it, it, it was it was tough. Um, you mentioned about the fans and how important they are, um, and and how things get dissected and chopped up, and you maybe yeah. don't get interpreted the way in which you you'd hope. Sometimes uh, a lot of fans are still sort of upset, not entirely sure about how the whole Josh Madger situation yeah. was. He was allowed to leave, and then the overspending. It is, as it is perceived on on Will Grid, there's that scene in the documentary where the advice is to pay this amount, and yeah. actually then you go on and you pay a lot more than that. And yeah. um, we often don't get the opportunity to look back at our own lives so vividly yeah. and see those crucial moments. How do you think you and the club handled that now? Um, I, I think I, I said at the time, you know, when when we came in, I think the first thing is you've got to set the scene and say what we came into. Now. You know, we came into a football club where, where, you know, Josh Madger had been barely mentioned to us um, but by anybody at the club. Um, he hadn't played a lot of games. Um, and we were dealing with half a dozen high-profile players that didn't want to be there that, that were, were causing issues. And I think, you know, a, a lad, if you like, that hadn't played much football on a few hundred pounds a week. So it wasn't until the season commenced and we saw how we did. Um, and then, you know, when we got into the negotiation, I mean... You, you can look at the body languages uh, of everybody and, and did we think we'd, we were more confident in getting him than, than we probably should have been? Maybe. Did we move his money up uh, quickly enough? Um, we didn't get him, so we've obviously, you know, made mistakes there. And I think, you know, we then spent an awful lot of money trying to replace him. Um, and that was financially not a good move. And, and if you, you look at the story of, of where the team is, obviously Josh goes... Ultimately, we offered them what they asked for. Um, and if we'd have done that in August, I'm sure he would have signed. But, you know, he would have been the most expensive signing that we had in August, which would have been moving a lad from 700 to £7,000 who'd scored one goal. Um, so we moved as it developed. I think he mentally moved as he developed. 
you know, and I know there's been bits since where, you know, we've commented the agent got a million pound and he's come out in the paper and said, well, it's only half a million or whatever the article says. Well, you know, um, if he'd have signed for us, you know, 5% of £7,000 a week, I'm sure isn't half a million. So, you know, whatever those motives were, you, you look back at it all of the season and there were there were mistakes that, that were made, not just with Josh. You know, we got some things wrong and, and Josh was definitely a mistake made by the club and ultimately me. And, and you then move on to Will. And I always maintain with Will, you know, when we started the, the window, um, he was our number one target. We set a figure of what we thought was fair. And I think everybody at the football club thought ultimately um, the money that, that I went to on it was too much. But I would make a judgment call. He got us the first goal to get to Wembley, which made us half a million. If he'd have got us the goal in the playoff final, you'd look back and said, well, that was a good bit of business. But that's football. Um, and would I do that again? You, you know, I try and obviously make sure it didn't get to that stage with the Josh Madger scenario. But would I go and spend money on a on a striker for us if I thought he was going to make the difference and it was more than what he was worth? Yeah, because promotion is the most important thing. You, you mentioned the business there, and it, it brings us on to the financial aspect of, of the day to day running of the club. Um, it's our understanding that the wage bill was fourteen million pound last season with a threat of that rising to £18 million this season. Uh, we know that you furloughed the, the playing staff this week. What is yeah. the current situation with your ownership and how close are you to selling the club? Um, well, you know, in an ideal scenario, I, I wouldn't sell it. I, I broke the the, the the football club down into a few parts and, and the, the most difficult part I feel that we've achieved in stabilising it. For me personally, it's disappointing because I, I've feel that I've done the first part and got the club stable. Uh, there was a very high-profile case where the, the, the fans have come out after some bad results and, you know, would, would like me to leave. And, and as I've said in the documentary, the fans will tell me when they want me to leave and that's what they've told me. So, you know, the virus at the moment doesn't make that easy, um, but I'm, I'm doing what the fans have asked and, you know, the, the club is for sale and there are people that are interested in it. But um, the virus is, is making that process a little bit slower. Do I want to do that? No. Um, I, I think, as you can see in the documentary, I, I feel this is my one chance to have a football club like Sunderland. And now I'm in at Sunderland. I don't want. I don't want to go anywhere else. And I feel that actually, conversely, you know, football's going to become easier to compete in. Um, so we're probably better placed than ever to do this journey that that I envisage doing. But from my perspective, I would much prefer to just sort of try and hold on to the club, deliver for the fans, and, and as hopefully we will become successful, maybe talk to the guys that have invested since we moved in and, and, and said, you know, um, could we have a bit more firepower once we get to the championship? That that was the plan. It is supposed to be fun and, and, and enjoyable. And, you know, if, if people don't want you to do it, um, life's too short to, to be somewhere where people don't want you to, to be. So it, it's obviously time to move on. But why would you want to leave that? You know, I, I dream that, that I would play my part in in delivering some happiness there. And, and ultimately, you know, I might have done some, some good work financially, hopefully people will see, but I haven't delivered. And that, I think, will always be a bit of a miss for me. Do, do you think that you've been presented properly in the media 
to the supporters over the course of this period. And I'm not just talking about the documentary now. I'm just talking about a lot of people who have seen you come up from Eastleigh. You've taken over this football club. You've said, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. You've got all the people together. You've changed the seats and it galvanised the community. And then there's been rumblings about the possibility of you selling it very, very quickly. And there was even sort of accusations that you were just trying to get rid of it nice and tidily and make a nice quick profit on it. You know, do you think the characterisation of you has been fair? No, if if the fans said to me tomorrow, stay, and um, the, the guys from America, you, you know, um, uh, uh, would 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 completely engage, which I I would hope that you know if we can get a little bit more success with that, I would love to stay. Charlie would love to stay. Um, you, you know, we know this is our as we said in the document, this is our one shot. Um, now, you know, we there is no doubt that mistakes have been made and. and um, but I think, you know, when 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 you look at anything like that, you you've got to adjust, you know, why is your chairman or your owner making mistakes? Are they making them uh, for financial reasons, for um, you know, disingenuous reasons, or are they actually genuinely trying to do their best for the community and the club? And I think that's a bit unfair. Will you make a profit if you sell it? Uh, yes, I would make a profit. Um, Nowhere near as much as people would think, because the real value in Sunderland is in the Championship and in the Premier League, um, and it's a question of speculating a bit to get there. And at the moment, we are sat here in a really good financial position, ready to sort of um, have a go. And we haven't quite got the football right. Mm. Um, but off the back of all the other things we had to sort out, I, I don't think it's it's disastrous, but it did feel disastrous in December for people, and I and I and I get that. And I think if they want me to leave because they think I'm incompetent and I can't get the football right, I understand that. If they think I'm, I, uh, they want me to leave because I'm not actually caring of their club and, and trying to sort it out, then they they've got that wrong. But I think the majority of Sunderland fans know that I, I've done my best. There there is no doubt. You know, I knew we needed investment, but I wanted to be the one that got that investment and then delivered for the fans. And having got the investment and had it ready there and got the fan base going and hopefully got, you know, the, the, the manager in and the, and the squad settled and, and you know, the uh, lots of things now hopefully starting to move in the right direction. I feel that, um, you know, it would have been nice to stay. And I think there is naturally a view from Sunderland fans, or lots of them, and I fully accept it. They've had two relegations. We're in League One. We shouldn't be. We're a huge club. Let's spend some money and let's get out of there. And and you know, if you can't get us out in in one year, you're a you're a bit of a dipstick. If you can't get us out in two, you're you're absolutely clueless. Uh, and and I accept that. And if that's how they feel, um, then fine. And I said to them, if you don't want me, tell me. And they've told me. Stuart, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a brilliant, honest chat and a reflection on the documentary, but also on the current situation as well. And um, we wish you all the best. Good luck. Yeah, no problem. Thanks very much. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. 
and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Last week, we brought you the first instalment of Southampton forward Shane Long talking us through his period of social distancing. He spoke about exercise and, and nutrition. I know that we all took that on board, Crook in particular. No carbs in the evening. You've been following that rule? Uh, to a point, I'm, I'm trying to eat a healthy dinner every other day. So uh, the other night I sent you a picture, actually. I had some uh, grilled tuna, some prawns, some couscous and some boiled veg. So I, th- I think Shane Long would approve. Uh, <laughs> OK, let's hear from the professional himself. Shane Long, uh, his diary, part two. So I've, I've just waking up. It's it's just gone half seven, and already I can hear the kids are all up. So it's it's probably time I start heading downstairs to see what havoc they're causing. And that's what I wanted to do a short clip on today, family, especially since we're in and around each other so much at the moment. You know, most of you guys probably know, but there's there's five of us. I've got my wife Kaylee, and three little ones: Teague, who's ten, Aaron, six, and Jack's three. During the season, we were lucky in some ways because after training, most of us lads are fortunate enough to to be able to get away to pick up the kids from school, help with the homework duties. But uh, there there are moments in the season we miss, you know. That's nothing to complain about, but the sacrifices we do make usually fall back in our families. I suppose I'm massively lucky. I've got some great people in my corner, you know. I've got my wife, Kaylee. She knows me better than anyone. She's had to make so many sacrifices and, and to allow me to do what I what I do and I owe her a lot. The kids are awesome too because whether you've smashed it or you've had a, a stinker, you know, they're they're always the same and it lets you go back into dad mode and forget about football world for a bit. We've been doing everything together, I suppose. We've been cooking breakfast together, playing in the garden, homeschooling, going for exercises of family, FaceTiming, relatives in Ireland. It's non-stop, but I'm loving it, you know. I hope you guys all are too, and, and there aren't too many family arguments brewing yet. Anyway, that's me signing out for Sunday, and we'll update you again tomorrow. So, we're at Monday already, and I've, I've got to say all the days seem to be blurring into one at the moment. But morale is still high and we've been keeping ourselves busy and entertained and I thought I'd share a few things I've found to keep myself occupied, especially if, if you're stuck for a few ideas. On the TV, once the kids are in bed, we've been watching a series called Safe and I'm hooked on the Formula One series Drive to Survive. What else have we been up to? A few of you might know that as well, I like to play the guitar. So I've had that out quite a bit this last week. I, I like to play songs by Oasis, Ed Sheeran, Lewis Capaldi, Jerry Cinnamon, a bit of everything really. Most of my day though is occupied by the kids, 
we've a, a schedule going p two sessions of homeschooling arts and crafts lego playtime lunch dinner bath time and seven thirty bedtime i have to get my fitness sessions in there as well between about 10 and 12 so by the time bedtime comes we're stuck to the couch another thing you might not have guessed i'd be up to is a bit of diy which i'm sure most of the country is doing the same you know clearing out the garage fixing bikes all, all them jobs that i always said i'd get around to tomorrow anyways that's it for me i hope you guys are all okay and i'll be back with another clip tomorrow No football means not much work to do for our illustrious team of game day reporters who trek heartily up and down the country every weekend for talk sport, but are now confined to the house. And no excursions to the match of the day every Saturday for game day host Adrian Durham. He's this week's guest in commentary confinement. Hello, how are you? Hello, yeah, all good, yeah, yeah, I'm surviving without the football, just. Just about, but you've got, I mean, we are on a Zoom call here, right, so we can see your amazing library of books behind you. Have you read all of those books? There must be about, what, 4,000 books in there? Have you read them all? Yeah, there's even some of uh, Crookie's efforts in there somewhere. So, yeah. <laughs> Those were freebies, weren't they? Yeah. I did buy one of them for some strange reason. I even got you to sign one of them once, as I recall. Surprised you did, all you. very embarrassing. <laughs> Crookie, you haven't done much to sell the uh, quality of your library. <laughs> we'll talk about Saturdays and how your weekend routine has changed shortly. But, of course, you're still on the air every day, broadcasting, drive time, uh, you from your house, Darren Goff from his how have you had to change the show? And has it improved your knowledge of some of the other sports outside football? And, and I'm certainly thinking of the historic events. I know you've gone back, for example, and watched the miracle of Medina and, and that wonderful Ryder Cup. Yeah, it has actually. And, and it's really served me well because I'll be honest, one of my weaker sports in terms of knowledge and, and history is boxing. And I've watched so much boxing over the last three or four weeks it's really improved my knowledge, really got into it as well. I watched um, Hatton Mayweather the other night and wow, it was just an incredible fight. And you watch things at the time, you never really go back and watch them as live again. So I'm doing a lot of that, you're right, and that's really improving the knowledge. I've actually just been watching Nick Faldo's 1990 Masters win on DVD. I've had the DVD for years, but uh, never watched it. So I've opened that and watched that. So it's been an education, I'll say that. And uh, it's been good to have that focus of doing the show as well. So I feel very lucky. Uh, it's not the only DVD that you've been watching, though, is it? Because I understand <laughs> that you've got some sort of um, fascination with torture, horror. <laughs> Apparently, you, you, there are eight Saw movies, right? Yeah. And, and you've spent the weekend watching all of them back to back. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it was. It was either three days. I watched all eight back to back. Um, I've seen them all before. I'm, I'm okay, though. It's, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, but what about the rest of your family? <laughs> they're a little bit concerned. Um, but they, I just think they're great. And they're so so well done. The storylines are brilliant. The plot twists are brilliant. And, you know, it's not for the, the faint-hearted, but I, I think they're brilliant. I think I've been unaffected by the whole thing. Although the one where... Agent Sturm puts his head in a glass box and it fills up with water. Oh. And then he has to do a self-tracheotomy or whatever it is to, to stay alive. That's really scary and that stayed in my head. <laughs> and you had a go at me for liking Star Wars. Incredible. Um, on the subject of watching TV, have you watched yourself during the uh, lockdown in Midsummer Murders? Um, not yet. It actually hasn't been on TV yet, but 
the next new one is the one that, that I'm in. And it's an honour, honestly. It's it's, uh, it's been a, a, a career ambition for a long time to be in Midsummer Murders, and it's finally happened. I absolutely love it. I've got all all the series on DVD. I've got a mountain of Midsummer Murders DVDs. So I've been, we've gone back to the beginning, uh, series one, episode one, to start watching, and uh, just I just love them so much. I've been trying for years just to be an extra, and finally got the call. Actually, got the call on a Friday saying, "Can you make it to this country house?" in Oxfordshire on Monday. So I had to quickly organize the day off work, had to quickly go to uh, the shops to buy the right gear, because it had to be summer party dress code. So I had to buy loads of uh, pastel colored shirts, a linen suit, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, had to get all the gear and it was just a great day. Really thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a real high. And, and, and obviously, I don't want you to give the plot away, but um, this Midsummer Murders episode that you were in, is there any uh, Saw-type torture horror stuff that you've managed to get yourself involved in? And do you still have the linen suit, or is it covered in splatters of blood everywhere? No, still got the linen suit, but I never wear it. Um, I should actually, for a dare, I should wear it to uh, to a game when uh, we get the football back yeah. on a Saturday afternoon, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, there's there's no sort. Well, what's the difference, really? I mean, in I sort, Midsummer Murders, they get murdered, and yet it's just more acceptable because it's in an English chocolate box <laughs> country village. And by the way, he's the worst detective ever, Barnaby. In the very first episode, there are six murders, two suicides, and he doesn't catch the killer. It, it's hopeless. It was one of my career ambitions to be in Midsummer Murders, said nobody ever, apart from Adrian Durham. <laughs> and the geezer who plays the lead detective, I would have thought. Just I'm not jealous. even sure he said it. <laughs> Jealousy. Outrageous. Um, how are you finding Saturdays? Because I'm struggling with Saturdays, not having that routine of getting up in the morning, preparing for uh, the match you're going to that particular day, going to the match doing the post-match interviews, coming home, watching the highlights of the other games, it's a struggle for me. Um, yeah, when I think about it like that, it's a struggle. But um, people listening to the to this podcast will probably not believe this, but I do actually have a very positive outlook on life, generally speaking. Um, and in all sorts of adverse situations, whatever they may be, I always try and find the positive. Now, the positive for me is that it's always really annoyed me over the years, I've been doing that Saturday show for over 20 years, remember, but in those 20 odd years, it's always really annoyed me when people I work with on drive on a Friday afternoon say, yay, it's Friday, it's the weekend. And I just have to quietly point out, well, I'm, I'm working tomorrow. I've got to drive to Sunderland or I've got to drive to Manchester and I won't get home till 11 o'clock, um, having left the house at 7am or whatever it might be. So that's actually annoyed me over the years a little bit. So now I'm looking at it thinking, well, I've got these weekends. So let's see what it's like. Let's see how much enjoyment you can have. And obviously it's limited because we're all housebound and locked down. But I'm actually enjoying the freedom of having two successive days off during the season for the uh, for the first time in years and years. So I'm getting a lot of reading done. <laughs> Um, how else are you using your time? Because um, some people are getting up in the morning and doing Joe Wick's PE lesson live on YouTube, but I hear you're doing something more tailored. Is that correct? Um, <laughs> who on earth has told you this? Mm. 
He's outrageous. I never mentioned this at all. Um, I am uh, I am doing a what they call a boot camp. It's on Zoom. It's seven a.m. Um, it's in the garden, and uh, I I actually need it. I've got to say, I've, I'm not I'm not exactly lean and mean. So uh, I've been needing this for some time. But it, I, I do agree with all those people who say that it, for a healthy mind, you need to exercise more. I think it's absolutely correct. Um, so this particular period of our lives, I just thought, right, I better get stuck into that. I did it. You started doing it years ago, but obviously, you know, sometimes you you kind of drop off the interest. Resuming it now is, has been really good. It's made me feel really good. I've got to say. And in terms of the show, obviously, I mentioned earlier the fact that you're doing it from your house. Darren Goff is doing it from his. What are the biggest challenges that that presents of, of co-hosting a program where you're in two completely different places? I'm going to let you into a little secret. Darren Goff's pretty terrible on WhatsApp groups. I mean, he, he, he's just... <laughs> oh, awful, yeah. Really. Oh, man. I'm responding so... to emails. Yeah, dreadful. I take it you're still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I sent him one four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's um, he's not the greatest. Other than that, I think the shows have been... We, we've worked together for over 10 years. Mm. We've always got on. I mean, it's never, ever been a problem between. It's always good mates. Um so I think that telepathy has 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 grown over the years, and it's uh, it's working well for us right now. I suppose the relationship's the most important thing, isn't it? And you and Darren have that, so you sort of almost not got a telepathic understanding between the two of you. But you've had so long together on the radio, you sort of know where the other one is going before they've even uttered it. Yeah, and having said that, he's not very good on WhatsApp groups. In the middle of a live interview, for example, so if we have a guest on, we always alternate questions. That That's a given. So then I go first, he goes second, then it's me, then it's him. If he's done, he will simply just WhatsApp me and say, done, and that's it. And I'll know that he's got no more. So I, if I want to ask another one, I do. If I want to end it, I do. So it's just a simple way of working, um, and we, we just kind of get it. We just click. So, yeah, he's a good guy just sent Sam a message saying done actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect in which case we'll leave it there uh, listen it's been great to talk to you uh, it's been really good it's been an honour uh, to talk to you thank you very much and, and please explain to me how I overcome the pain of doing burpees at 7am in the morning I, I, I don't think I'll ever recover <laughs> ask Crook he knows I was going to say you, you're talking to the wrong man there <laughs> I think you just sent another message saying done <laughs> Yeah, never even started. Right, speak to you later. Thank you very much. That's Adrian Durham, ladies and gentlemen. Adrian, brilliant, uh, as always. And you can hear him on Drive Time 4 till 7 every single weekday on Talk Sport. Um, I think I'm putting the Saw films on my list of things to do during this period. I don't know about you. No, I have promised him that I will watch that episode of uh, Midsummer Murders. Although, actually, I, I WhatsApped him after the interview and said, sorry for taking the mick about Midsummer Murders. And he pulled me up because I spelt mis- Midsummer wrong. I spelt it Midsummer <laughs> as in the season, but it's S-O-M-E-R. He wasn't happy. Something else for you to work on during this period of isolation, your spelling. Uh, let's move on to the second part of our diary with Shane Long. He's been recording a special isolation diary for us over the course of the last couple of weeks. Uh, This is the latest episode. So today's update is a bit of a shorter one. 
I've been listening to a bit of talk on the radio and TV about football and it's got me thinking and missing matches in the league and that so I thought I'd just rattle through a few of my favourite things from grounds, goals and, and different things in my career, you know. I've got a little list of questions in front of me that I've drawn up so I'm going to go through them one by one. I'll start with my favourite Premier League ground to play at and I'd have to say that has to be Anfield. Just the atmosphere really, you, you never walk out alone walking onto the pitch, the passion of the fans. You know, it's, it's, it is amazing, although I do like it when they're quiet because that means that we're winning. My all-time favourite boots were the Nike CTRs. I only got to wear them for, for about two seasons and then Nike discontinued them, but I still own a pair and hopefully Nike bring them back, you know. My favourite swap shirt from, from an opponent was, um, was Gary Kelly. It was my first season in England and, and being a Leeds fan and playing against an Irish le- legend at Ellen Road, I, I asked the kit man for, for Gary's shirt. Then five minutes later, Gary knocks on the door, asks for me and stands there and chats to me for 15 minutes and, you know, really goes out of his way to, to make it special for me and then hands me his shirt, signs it and, you know, what a guy, you know, it's, it's uh, just just speaks volumes for him, the way, the way he went out of his way to, to treat me that day. My favourite goal would have to be against Germany in the Euro qualifiers. The atmosphere in the Aviva that night was was just unbelievable. You know, to beat the world champions one nil and and score the winning goal, it's it's going to be hard to top that. Uh, number eight, my my favorite sport other than football is hurling. Uh, I spent a lot of childhood playing hurling, and it's it's still a sport I have a real passion for. Maybe one day I can play again. We'll see. But I, I do love NFL as well. But but hurling is number one. And finally, the the proudest moment of my footballing career. It has to be every time I've played for my country, you know, all 82 of them. And they've all been special and, and I hope there's a lot more to come. So there you go. Some quick fire answers for you. And I'll be back tomorrow with my final clip. So guys, the, the week has flown by and today is my last little clip. I'm going to keep this one short and sweet, you know. I've, I've spent enough time talking about why I'm up to and I just wanted to, to end the week with a, a message. I hope everybody's remained safe and sound and is doing everything they can to, to fight off this horrible disease by, you know, following the government guidelines like staying at home and, and just not taking any risks. I, I'm in total awe of what the, the carers and the healthcare staff across the country in the NHS are doing and and further afield, the HSE workers back home in Ireland, we owe them like an awful lot for their bravery and their dedication. I know it's a very lonely time for a lot of people in the community too, so please reach out if you're if you're lonely or, or need help, as there are people out there to help. And I know the Saints Foundation are doing a great job of calling up their older participants and checking out they're okay, and there are countless others who are just doing amazing work. And, you know, I'd like to say thanks. So... This is me signing out and I hope these little clips have helped you pass a bit of time and been of interest. And I hope when we've beaten off this virus, I'll see you all at St. Mary's. Take care and stay safe, guys. And we must just say a big thank you to Southampton and to Shane Long. Excellent work. They took it really seriously and uh, thank you very much. And if any other Premier League uh, footballer wants to get in touch with us, Crook, we'll take them, right? Absolutely, 100%. A couple of other stories for you. I mentioned about training sessions incorporating social distancing a few weeks ago on this podcast. Uh, well, Schalke Nulfia uh, went back to uh, 
training this week and they were all training at least two metres apart. I mean, it's a fantastic picture in the paper, actually, of just them all spread out, pinging 30-yard passes between each other. The Bundesliga, interestingly, wants to return behind closed doors next month. Great pronunciation of Schalke 04, by the way. Someone's been reading their German during the lockdown. Um, yeah, I was reading about this, actually, and I think the plan would be to allow two to 300 spectators into the grounds and that's got to be a good sign for the Premier League and for English football in general because of course Germany are slightly ahead of the curve in terms of uh, when the virus first hit over there and therefore when it peaked but if football can start to resume around Europe's major leagues then surely we will quickly follow Uh, and the Dutch as well have got a plan to get uh, back underway on June the 19th now this is despite uh, Ajax, AZ Alkmaar and PSV all asking for the season to be canned you see, your Dutch is not quite as good as your German. It's RZ Alkmaar. Oh. I think you're fine. <laughs> okay. How, how, any other languages for you that you're uh, uh, researching and trying to learn during this period of social distancing? No, I know you're thinking about Spanish. I've got to say, I wasn't uh, one for linguistics at school, so I, I think I'll leave that to the experts like yourself. <laughs> you're not, not, not fancy downloading Duolingo? No. We could have like a little competition or something. I'll give you a game of darts instead. Fair enough. Uh, That's it for this week's show. Uh, We'll be back at the same time next week with all the big bits and news, the silly smiley bits to keep you happy and entertained as well as you stay at home and save lives. We've got the Twitter quiz on Friday night. Hopefully you can join us for that. 8pm on the TalkSport Twitter feed. I'll be hosting and you could win £50 worth of Just Eat vouchers. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 